Chapter 12 from Wilderness Path, a novel by Mary Jane Schneider. New Canaan. Ablaze with fever, Benjamin tossed fitfully on the wooden bed in a corner of his parents' kitchen. Returning from the spring house, his Aunt Hannah carried cool cloths for his head, anything to make him more comfortable. The cut on his leg was nasty, swollen, hard to the touch. With a young child's reckless abandon, little Benjamin had run into a sickle leaning against the barn door. His father had been in the field when he heard the boy's screams. Tearing off his shirt, Jacob wadded it against the boy's leg to control the bleeding. The next day, the fever began. Jacob went across the meadow to get his sister, Hannah. Hannah watched through the night, but by the next morning, the boy's fever still had not broken. His mother, Esther, put her hand to her son's hot forehead while his father, Jacob, stood by helplessly. Taking their young daughter, Susan, with them, Jacob and Esther went to the field to spread the flax to dry while Hannah stayed with Ben. Holding a cool cloth to his head, she soothed him with stories to help him forget his pain. She told him about the adventures of the crafty Jacob, of Joseph and his coat of many colors, of his younger brother, also named Benjamin. Quieted by her voice, the boy fell asleep. In the stillness, Hannah was startled by the creaking gate and the sound of footsteps. Raising the wooden shutter, she saw a woman, a pouch over her shoulder, stride toward the cabin. Although she had never seen her, Hannah knew who she was. Thomas had described her well. The Bergfrau. The woman entered. I am Maria Miller. Some call me de Bergfrau. Father Johann told me there was an injured child here. Are you his mother? No, I'm his aunt, Hannah Weaver. Benjamin woke and stirred. I'm here to help, Maria said as she touched Ben's leg lightly. The boy flinched at her touch. It's not good. I'm glad I came. Taking a long, thin knife and cloth strips from her pouch, she put them on the table. What we must do, Hannah, is not pleasant, but it is the only way. Going to the bed, she said, you see all this mottled stuff forming around the wound? This is poison in his body. She picked up the knife. I have tried this before. If we can get rid of the poison, the wound will heal. But I must cut the wound so that the poison can escape. Hannah suddenly felt dizzy. The stuffy room, the festering wound, the sharp knife. She gripped the corner of the bed. Die Bergfrau took her arm. Are you all right, Hannah? This is not a pretty business. But I need you to keep the boy very still while I cut. I promise to make it quick. If he moves, I could hurt him even more. Pulling a flask from her pouch, she held it to his mouth. He swallowed and coughed. Let me talk to him before you cut, Hannah said. Ben's eyes, large with fear and pain, were fixed on her face as she talked. Soon he became drowsy. The drink had worked. But as Maria cut, the child woke up and screamed. With all her strength, Hannah held him still. 
Quickly, Maria put the knife back on the table and reached for a cloth. Good, good. Here comes the first of the poison. She talked as she worked. As each cloth gets filled with fluid, put on a clean one. Someone must heat water. The dirty cloths need to be washed in hot water. Keep changing the cloths as often as possible, even through the night. She cleaned her knife and put it back in her pouch. Hannah, you are in charge. When the wound seems clean, put on these sassafras leaves. They will help the wound to heal. I am staying with Father Johann tonight. If you need me, send for me. As unexpectedly as she had come, Frau was gone. When Esther came in from the field to check on her son, Hannah told her about Frau's surprising visit. At the end of the day, they quietly ate their supper, and even Susan, usually talkative, spoke in whispers. Jacob kept the fire going and washed the rags. Hannah stroked Benjamin's hair and changed the cloths. His face seemed less fl flushed. At the first rays of dawn, Hannah slumped over the bed and allowed herself to doze. As Esther was frying the mush, she heard her son stir. I'm hungry, Benjamin declared. Esther held her son in her arms. Laughter, tears filled the room. Baskets of apples stood beside the table. More apples were piled in heaps outside the doorway. Peter and Joshua had been in the orchard all week, gathering the generous harvest. Hannah had wrapped the best of the apples and straw to be placed in the root cellar. The rest would be dried and stored for the winter. Side by side, Hannah and Elizabeth peeled the apples in silence. Elizabeth looked up at her daughter. I have been too upset about Thomas, she thought. He is gone, and I hope now you will forget him. I want so much for you, a good Mennonite farmer for a husband. She gathered up the peelings in her apron and headed for the door. I am taking these to the pig. Dumping the peelings in the trough, she watched a hawk circle the sky. Closing the fence, Elizabeth started back to the house. Johan has a good plan, she thought. Hannah has the makings of a healer. Look how she cared for Benjamin, how she takes care of me when the fever comes. If she lived with Frau and learned her healing skills, she might forget Thomas. Hannah placed the apples on the drying tray. Her hands were cutting apples, but her mind was on Father Johann and his words. This is a practical plan, Mama says. Spend the winter with Frau, learn her healing skills. She reached for another apple. They all want me to take the practical plan. They hope that I will forget Thomas. No one believes that Thomas is coming back. I am the only one. Chapter 13, The Great Shemokin Path. Hugging the bank of the Susquehanna River, a strange procession traveled north on the Great Shemokin Path. Carrying the largest pack, Sunrising was in the lead, 
followed by Soaring Hawk, who pulled Thomas along in his makeshift chair. Brightfeather and her two daughters had heavy packs of their own, held secure by their head straps. Finally came the young son, bent over with his own pack. Thomas now sensed the reason for their exodus from Shemokin, the ill feelings between the Lenape and Iroquois, but where they were going or how long it would take, he did not know. How will I survive as helpless as I am? He felt disjointed as he appeared in his white man's jacket, deerskin, breechcloth, and leggings. He braced himself against the jolting as Soaring Hawk pulled him along the trail. I am not Lenape. I am used to living in a house, eating white man's food, coming and going as I please. Surely I have lost everyone precious to me. Hannah, Father Johan, my parents, my sister. I should have not started to search for Conrad Weiser. But until I can walk again and begin to understand Sunrising's language, I am a prisoner, a prisoner of their good intentions, but a prisoner nevertheless. They stopped at the river's edge. Footprints on the bank marked the place where the river had been forded many times. Wading waist-deep in the chilly water, Sunrising and his son carried Thomas to the west shore. They struggled to keep him above the water, but he was wet up to his chest. After they started a fire, they turned back to the river for the heaviest of the birch bark packs. Another crossing with the three women, who held their packs high above their heads while the young boy waited anxiously on the far bank for his father to come for him. A handful of Iroquois warriors watched and laughed. Sunrising ignored them. We will be happy to get away from this Mingwe highway. Finally, Thomas was able to stand, then take a few faltering steps. As he gained strength, he insisted on walking the first few miles until he collapsed exhausted and allowed sunrising to strap him into the chair. Walking in silence, they went single file among the towering tulip poplars and oaks along the river they called the Susquehanna. They passed scattered villages, but the Iroquois living in them were strangers and they chose not to stop. When they rested, one of the women took their bark basket to the river for water. Thomas was given the first drink, followed by the others according to age. Anishi, he said as he took the gourd, thank you. It was the only Lenape word he knew. While they rested, they ate their parched corn. At the end of each day, they looked for the four sticks of a bark shelter. If no shelter was found, they made one. Each evening, Brightfeather took her precious flint and tinder to start a fire. Father and son kept the fire going into the night while the rest of the family slept. When the wolf howled or the hunting owl screeched in his night search, the small boy huddled close to his mother. Sometimes the journey was halted while sunrising and his son searched for game. If the men came back with a wild turkey or pigeon, they would postpone their travels until they had eaten their fill. 
Sitting around the fire, sunrising began to teach Thomas the Lenape language. In turn, Thomas taught them his name. As he struggled with the strange sounding words, the little boy smiled, but quickly hid behind his mother when his father gave him a reproving glance. But Thomas would not give up. As they traveled, he listened to the words around him and tried to repeat them. Soon, each one was helping him, even the little one. Every morning as they started, sunrising pointed west and said, Kidhane. Thomas realized that his destination was Kidhane, wherever it was. When the river turned west, sunrising was joyful. Soon we will reach Kidhane and be able to live as true Lenape again, he told Brightfeather. Perhaps our sun wandering deer waits for us there. But the days grew colder. Flocks of geese in formation headed south. Hawks soared along the horizon. The leaves lost their summer green. First the sassafras with its mittens turning yellow, then the pale birches and the red maples. As they walked, their moccasins rustled faintly on the fallen leaves. Sunrising looked at the markings along the path. We are still many miles from Kithane, and already it is growing cold, he thought. As if to read his mind, his son stood beside him. Father, this Shuanuk is a burden. He is slowing us down, he said, kicking away the chair pole. We will never reach Kithane before the snow. Why do we have to take him with us? My son... He is alone and helpless. Remember how your sister's dream led us to this stranger and the message from the Manitou to protect him? We could not leave him at Shemokin to fend for himself. The first white trader to find the gold in his traveling pouch would have robbed him and left him to die. Sunrising picked up the pole and handed it to his son. Until we can understand each other better, we know little about him, except that he was a friend of de Bergfrau. Her medicine healed your sisters when they were sick with fever. The Manitou is asking us to honor her friendship. We will continue to help him until he can walk for himself. They journeyed slowly, surrounded by falling leaves, but the November rains came as sleet. Ice coated the trees and their packs. They had to stuff their moccasins with moss to keep their feet dry. Reaching Kithane before winter would be impossible. Just as the sleet changed to snow, they found the remnants of a sleeping place. Poles for a bark house lay scattered where they had been abandoned, and fireplace stones awaited a fire's warmth. Searching for bark, sunrising read the tree's markings. This is the snowshoe sleeping place. We will winter here. Chapter 14. Back in New Canaan. It was a quiet time, a waiting time. Wheat and flax lay stored in the barn ready for threshing. Strings of dried pumpkins and baskets of dried apples awaited a winter feast. Skeins of flax hung from the rafters. 
the birds had flown south. Only a few squirrels seeking food for the winter disturbed the silence of the woods. Christmas had come and gone, a far different Christmas from last year. A Christmas without snow, without sledding, without Thomas. Spinning the skeins of coarse wool, Hannah listened for the sound of footsteps above the whir of the spinning wheel. Where was Thomas? He will come back, she thought. He will come for me. But only silence, except for the wind and the bare branches. At times she imagined him beside her. At other times she could hardly remember his face. Would he slowly fade away and leave her with no memories, no image of himself? The morning sun's pale rays sliced through the winter woods as Elizabeth coaxed the coals in the fireplace into a small blaze. She looked at her daughter, smoothing her clothes into a neat bundle. Her shawl was on the chair by the door. Stirring the cornmeal mush in the iron kettle, Elizabeth ladled it into the wooden trencher and added wild honey. Here, Hannah, eat every bit of it. The journey will take most of the day. Your father is in the barn already. She studied her silent daughter. It seemed that only yesterday she was bringing us may apples and wild strawberries. While her mother hovered over her, Hannah ate as if in a dream. She was leaving, leaving this morning to spend the rest of the winter with de Bergfrau. She had never been away from her family. Hannah felt her mother's arms around her shoulders. Her father had saddled the horses. We are ready, he said as he helped her onto the, her horse. Riding down the lane, she saw her mother wave from the door. That remote image would comfort her in the days ahead. Father and daughter paused at the top of the hill to look back at the familiar house, small and far away. The first miles along the Colebrook Road were pleasant enough. A few squirrels scampered from tree to tree, and a feeding deer paused, looked up, and ran off into the woods. With the trees bare, Peter easily found the joining stream and the path beside it. After they left the Colbrook Road, the horses carefully picked their way along the stony path in the narrow valley. Riding in silence, Hannah was full of unspoken questions. What is Mama doing now? When she is upset, she usually sweeps the floor, poking the broom into every corner. Will she miss me? Does she really believe that I will forget Thomas and come home to marry Daniel? Watching for intruding tree limbs from either side, she balanced herself as she rode. The path was leading her away from her comfortable home and into a desolate place. A place where trees crowded around her. Her future seemed as desolate and deserted as this path. We're halfway by my calculation, Peter said. Let's stop for lunch. They ate the fresh bread without a word. Hannah smiled at her silent father. I know he loves me, even if he cannot tell me so. All he can do is lead me safely. The horses slowly brushed by the brambles as they climbed the hill. 
Peter stopped at the crest. Leapkin, we are in luck. I found the stone marker. Diebergfrau's house is only two miles farther. Hannah followed her father. She wanted to cry. She wanted to be six years old again and hide under his coat. She wanted to feel his strong, protecting arms around her as she pleaded with silent words. Papa, I want to go home. Sunlight poured wanly through the stand of bare maples as they saw a small cabin in the distance and the outline of a woman in the doorway. This was de Bergfrau, Maria Miller. I was hoping you would come today, she said as they drew near. Anna Huber's baby is coming. We will go to her in the morning. Maria awakened Hannah with the urgent call. We want to leave at first light. And after a brief breakfast, Maria stamped out the fire and handed Hannah a sheepskin coat. Here, this was my mother's. It will keep you warmer than your shawl. The Huber farm is about two miles. Giving her father a quick embrace, Hannah watched him ride away and then turned to follow Maria, waiting anxiously. I'm sorry to rush you, but I stopped to see Anna yesterday, and I'm sure that it is time for her to deliver. This is her first baby. She is young and very frightened. We need to get there as soon as possible. Hannah struggled to keep up with Maria on the two long miles to the Huber family. Her whole body ached, first from the long ride to, to De Bergfrau's home, now from walking as fast as she could along the narrow lane. A ruddled cartway in the summer, the lane was a mere footpath in winter. Along the snow had melted, she had to avoid patches of ice that hit, hid the ruts. Ah, I was right, Maria said as they entered the cabin. Anna's labor has started. Now we must wait. She asked Anna's husband, the bashful Isaac, to build up the fire and bring in stacks of wood. We may be here together all day and all night, Isaac. That long, he asked. That long, especially for a first baby. Making sure that the kettle was filled with water, she turned to him. Now go over to your parents' cabin to wait. This is women's work. We'll call you when the baby arrives. Maria opened her pouch and pulled out her knitting needles. Anna, get your knitting as well. It will help to make the time go faster. Trying to concentrate on her knitting, Anna writhed in pain as the contractions came. That is good, Maria said. Even if it hurts, we are making progress. Your opening will be stretched by these pains until it is large enough for the baby's head to slide through. Maria turned to Hannah. I will give Anna some elderberry tea to ease the pain. Anna must relax between each pain so that she will have enough energy to help her baby when it is time to be born. Afternoon stretched into evening as the women waited. Hannah brought in more wood for the fire. This may take the rest of the night, Maria said. Hannah, try to keep her calm. Could you talk about something, perhaps stories from the Bible? 
What about the baby in the bulrushes? That was baby Moses, said Anna. And his sister was Miriam, added Hannah. Hannah and Anna recalled this story together. They talked about the king's daughter who took the baby into her palace, about Moses who led his people out of Egypt, the miracle of the sea that parted, the quails, the manna. The night continued. How much longer, asked Anna after a sharp pain shook her whole body. Maria answered, the time is close. Anna, you must help your baby come out. You must push even through the pain. Can you do that? She called to Hannah, come here. I want you to see this birth so you know what to expect when you help to deliver your first baby. The next moments were a nightmare for them. Anna was screaming, crying, pushing, clutching the air. Finally, it happened. The baby was out. Laughing and crying, Maria shouted, Here she is, Anna. Here is your daughter. Hannah, look at the birth cord. We must make sure that it is not wrapped around the baby's neck or she will choke. Satisfied that all was well, Maria lifted the infant and slapped her until a faint cry was heard. In almost one stroke, she took the knife to cut the cord, tied it, and handed the crying infant to her mother. Let Hannah have the baby to wash her, and then we will call Isaac, Maria said. While Isaac admired his new daughter and awkwardly stroked his wife's hair, Maria and Hannah made their way to his parents' cabin, where hot tea and mush were waiting for them. A new baby, Maria said a time of great joy. Hannah nodded. After a long night of waiting, joy did come in the morning. She thought about her mother. For her, joy did not come the morning when Rachel was born. Her mother had been denied that joy. Hannah had passed Rachel's tiny grave many times. How sad it was to lose a child. A baby, in obvious pain, lay on the kitchen table with Maria bending over her. Hold her still, Maria said. This poultice of juniper berries will help the burns heal. baby, in obvious pain, lay on the kitchen table, with Maria bending over her. Hold her still, Maria said. This poultice of juniper berries will help the burns heal. Then I'll bandage her arm and leg. The child continued to whimper, not a strong angry sound, but a soft mourning sound. As soon as I'm finished, you will be able to nurse her, morning star. That will comfort her a little. The woman sat in the rocker as Maria handed her the little one, her arm and leg awkward in their new bandages. Silence came as she found her mother's comfort. Carrying an armload of wood, Hannah pushed open the door. Hannah, we have a small crisis. This is Young Eagle and Morning Star. They had planned to go west with their family, but stayed behind at Mukunji to be with the grandmother who was too sick to travel. She died yesterday. 
After they buried her, their little one fell on the hot stones of the fire. The young mother spoke to Maria in her language, a language that Hannah did not understand. Maria turned to Hannah. She says that she had taken her baby out of the cradle board to nurse her. She turned her back for a moment, and suddenly the baby crawled toward the fire. She didn't know that she could crawl. Now she blames herself. Maria stirred the fire. Let us all have some of this lovely stew that Hannah has prepared. She turned to young Eagle. Surely you are not planning to continue west now. We will stay in Hidden Valley until the winter is over. We found an abandoned shelter there. When I have good hunting, I will bring you some venison. Handing him a sack of cornmeal, Maria said, I am glad that I will have neighbors in the valley again. In February, the storms came, uninvited and unrelenting. Snow upon snow isolated Maria's cabin from the outside world until the Hoke boys came to shovel a path to the barn and to the privy. Yet Hannah would always remember that February as a time of light and warmth, good food and friendship. With little to do but feed the fire and turn the spinning wheel, Hannah and Maria talked and talked, not only about healing herbs, childbirth, and broken bones, but also about their lives. My father was a wonderful, carefree, impractical man, frustrating at times, said Maria, but I will never forget the lessons he taught me. While Hannah spun, Maria told her about her childhood home in Mans, a city along the Rhine, where her father was a tailor and her mother a midwife. He was never happy in the city. He yearned for the open spaces of the country. So they followed my mother's brother, Aaron Hope, into Penn's woods, to this very piece of ground. But try as he did, he was not a farmer. Maria told Hannah how her father had discovered the village of Lenape Indians down in the valley how he visited with them, learned their language, took her with him. We learned what herbs they used for healing, where the best hunting grounds were. She smiled, but almost nothing about farming. The hoax kept us alive until I met the man who became my husband. I met him in our own field. Maria continued, he was a redemptioner one of a group of redemptioners dragged along these country roads to be sold to the highest bidder. My uncle saw this young man, Amos Miller, strong and eager. He paid for his passage and put him to work planting apple trees. She paused to remember. I took water to him as he worked in the field. It was love at first sight. Maria described how Amos planted the fields bought a cow, added a bedroom to their cabin, enlarged the barn. Everything was blooming. Everything was growing. We were so happy. We had hoped for babies, but they hadn't arrived. We still had time. She paused. Hannah stopped spinning. Maria continued. 
Amos and my uncle had gone to Germantown to buy tools. A runaway horse knocked Amos down. He died on the street. When I saw my uncle drive home without Amos at his side, I knew something terrible had happened. My life was as broken as my poor husband's body. I had no husband, no children, no life at all. Marie arose and went to the fire, poking at the burning logs. She turned. Although he died years ago, I love him still. But life had to go on, and it was my mother who healed my grief. She had been delivering babies up and down the valley and had given the Lenape's healing herbs to sick neighbors. And because we lived on this hill, the mothers began calling her de Bergfrau, the mountain woman. She took me with her, taught me her skills, gave me a purpose for my empty life. When she became too old to travel, I became de Bergfrau. She stayed home, kept the fire going, always ready to welcome me when I returned. She turned toward Hannah. But what about you? You are here to learn to be a healer. Hannah hesitated. She told Maria about her love for Thomas, their love for each other. But he rode away in June, and no one has heard from him since that day. She looked away as if to see his face again. Father Johann and my parents urged me to come here and learn your healing skills. They want my life to have some direction other than waiting for Thomas. Everyone wants me to forget him, but how can I forget him? I love him and he loves me. Maria took her hands. Thomas is a Catholic priest. His love may be strong, but his ties to his church are strong as well. Hannah walked away. I am here only to get through the winter. Maria followed her. But while you are waiting for Thomas, think about what I have taught you, she added. You have learned well. I think you will become a healer and a good one. With the melting snow, the tips of skunk cabbage pushed through the brown earth and brought a hint of spring. Leaving Maria's house, Hannah started down the path to the valley below. All had been prepared, extra food, extra clothes tied in a bundle under her arm. Her plan was simple. I need to find Thomas. He must have gone to the Susquehanna. First, I'll stay with a Mennonite family in the Ole Valley. Then I'll go west with the first wagon train. Or I'll go west with Young Eagle and Morningstar. Holding her bundle in one hand and steadying herself against the trees with the other, she picked her way among the rocks. Trying to balance her bundle on the steep path, she fell when a root caught her foot. The woods were still. Not even a squirrel moved through the bare branches. Crying, not with pain, but with frustration, she sat still, pulling her shoe away from the root. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't find my way home alone. I can't leave. My plan seems simple, but it won't work. 
it won't work. As she climbed back up the hill, Maria waited for her at the crest. So you were going to look for Thomas. How did you know? Maria sat down beside her. You think I don't remember love. Believe me, Lifekin, I do. Why didn't you come after me? Because I knew you would come back. I knew that you couldn't leave your parents. You couldn't leave Father Johann, and even me. Maria put her arm around Hannah. What a gift you have been to me this winter. How lonely I would have been without you. Hannah got up. Now that the snow has gone, we can look for our plants. Yes, we can look for our plants, but not together. Your father has come to take you home.